of UConn 360. That is, as you know, the only podcast known to science that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. Coming to you from across the length and breadth of Connecticut, the three musketeers of this podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts. And joining me as always are my colleagues, Julie Bartuka. Hey. And Ken Best. The Mansfield Center Bureau is open. All right. We hope uh, that as you're listening to this, you're doing well. We're recording this ahead of the 4th of July weekend. You'll be hearing it after the 4th of July weekend, so we hope your holiday was a good one. We've got a good program for you. Lots of interesting stuff, and we're going to hear a little bit from a, a uh, UConn superstar. It's Ken's going to give us a fill us in on. Ken, what's, what's the haps on that, as the kids say? Well, uh, the basketball coaches had Zoom conferences yesterday because they're, they're now getting ready with their players. Uh, the men's team is starting to arrive. The women's team will not arrive for another couple of weeks, but Gino Auriemma was his usual entertaining self talking about lots of different subjects. He did address the difficulty of trying to get everybody back to campus. He's got three players who uh, are from other countries and there are restrictions on who can come in. There's one player for the men's team who is from Canada um, and he's going to have to wait as well because there are guidelines on on who can come in as a student and whether they have to be enrolled in an actual class that's in person as opposed to an online class. And he told the reporters, and it was reported uh, widely, that our congressional delegation in Washington is trying to assist generally on all international students, because that's an issue for most colleges and universities. And so that's all uh, being done. Also, Gino and some of our former players, our alumna, Maya Moore chiefly, Tiffany Hayes and Renee Montgomery, as well, have been doing social justice work and are going to be taking the season off, as Maya has done for the last two years, to work on things that are very important and they're putting basketball behind. And Gino, in his comments to the reporters, said he was very proud of the fact that they learned some of those ideas here, but they also had them ingrained in themselves and they just had to come out a little bit later than uh, when they were in, in school, because as students, you're a little uncertain as to what you can do. But now that they have been professionals for a number of years, they are making things happen, and they are making a big difference in the world. You mentioned all of the greater things happening in society right now. What kinds of feelings do you get when you see your players, current and former, sort of being at the forefront when it comes to issues like social justice, equality? What does that make you feel? I've said in uh, in recent weeks that if you're a passionate individual, that doesn't go away. And that probably doesn't just lend itself to your sport. So our players are, are very passionate individuals. That's why they were able to accomplish the things they accomplished when they were here. And that's why they were able to be as good as they are at any level. And there's more to them than just being a basketball player. I mean, if, if there's one thing that I'm really proud of, is that when kids come to school here, it's not, you know, people think you win all the time and must be 20, must be basketball 24 hours a day. No, it's not like that here. We're proud that our kids grew up while they were here. They learned uh, how to fight for things. They learned how to stand up for, for what they believed in. And, you know, they were allowed to have a voice when they were here. Even though, you know, college kids a lot of times, and rightly so, they're afraid to use their voice. One, they're too young to understand what the voice should sound like. But when they get a little bit older and they experience a few more things, uh, their voice is loud and clear. 
And uh, I'm proud of them that they're willing to put their actions where, where their mouths are. Couldn't be, couldn't be more proud. And, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all at the, the reaction by, by my players. And like I said in my statement, too, you don't all have to agree. No, that's, that's the part that, that I think is, is important here. You don't all have to agree, but you have to agree to listen. You have to agree to, to pay attention. You have to agree to be informed. And then you get a right to make your own decision, whatever that is. That's what I've always tried to tell, you know, tell my players from the beginning. You know, learn and pay attention and be informed and know what you're talking about. And they, they have all, they've all done that. I'm not surprised. Not one bit. And then Gino at the end was asked how he was doing. And he said his golf game is not what it should be. And he's getting a peak of retirement. He doesn't really like it. And then uh, he was asked, well, how's your wife handling all this with you? And this is what he said. Hey, look. This is the longest time I've been in one place in my life, right? I've been in Connecticut since the middle of March. That's How's her- Kathy handling that? I don't know. I haven't talked to her since April. So I think she's handling it pretty good. <laughs> the Maya Moore story is incredible. If uh, you haven't read it, she worked very hard to get somebody out of prison who was, I think he was sentenced to 50 years when he was a teenager and he is now 40 and he there was no evidence tying him to the crime that he was put in jail for so in part her work helped uh release him which is incredible it's a great story and uh you know a testament to uh what what uconn seeks to do with student athletes right like it's not just about playing on the court it's also being a fully formed citizen uconn magazine last issue had a fantastic uh feature on all the different kinds of work that former women's basketball players are doing on and off the court and Yesterday's press conference was notable because we are now in the Big East, you guys. Woo! We're back. We're well, back. Technically, we never left. The Big East left us. The Big East left us. Yeah, I saw that. We are once again in the Big East, which is good. Good to be back. Looking forward to rekindling some old rivalries. People are very excited about that. Uh, season tickets have been selling very well. Uh, Despite the uncertainty. Yeah, who knows if <laughs> we'll be able to play basketball in front of audiences this fall, but... Uh, you know, it, I, I consider it a gesture of good faith on the part exactly. of and they, Husky I Nation. think they've made it clear that people will get refunds if they can't go to the game. So it's you're not losing anything by uh, right. by buying yeah, yeah. your tickets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had so I'm actually very disappointed because I, obviously I've been a UConn fan for a long time, but I'm I'm not a big sports fan. So I'm kind of a casual fan, and I was when I was a student, obviously went to games. But last year, I went to a lot of games, and I got really into it. And so this year, I would have hoped to continue that. So we'll see what happens. But bad timing. Yes. Well, you know, we're, we're all <laughs> uh, we're all making Only it up as we go me. along. Only, yeah, yeah. That that perhaps is the worst thing that's happened in 2020 <laughs> so far. Oh God! All right. Anyway. Let's let's stay with Julie because yeah. you have a story for us. I have a really fun story. So we've been talking a lot about kind of some of the silver linings that we've seen during the pandemic. You know, obviously a lot of really rough stuff going on throughout all of this, but there's been excellent research being done at the university. A lot of people here and elsewhere stepping up to help the community. And someone who has gotten some attention uh, in local media and almost in national media, which you'll hear a little bit about, 
is a UConn alum and Mansfield resident named Louis Gofinay. Louis grew up uh, near UConn after his father, Professor Bernard Gofinay, was hired here as an EEB, that's Ecology and Evolutionary Biology Professor, in 1999. And his dad still works here, and Louis graduated from UConn in 2017 with an individualized major in family health where he says he combined the biological aspects of health with the social sciences in hopes of going to dental school. But after he graduated, he worked as a substitute teacher in his hometown of Mansfield, and he changed course. He withdrew from the dental school application process, and he's now a teacher. He taught 8th grade last year and is going to be teaching 7th grade this year in the town of Lebanon, and he also coaches soccer there. Now, Louis' dad is not only the reason he's here at UConn, he's also the reason why he's here on the podcast this week. After public schools closed in March, and so Louis had some time on his hands, his dad actually volunteered him to go grocery shopping for a former neighbor that lived right near campus. And that actually snowballed into a massive local charitable project, which is what you're going to hear about right now. You will notice, I just want to point out, that the sound quality changes a little bit in the interview because poor Louis kept losing connection to Zoom at home and he had to change locations to record the rest. So we just rolled with it because it's a pandemic. After Louis Gofinet's father volunteered him to go grocery shopping for former neighbors who did not want to go shopping during the pandemic due to their health conditions, Louis posted to Facebook offering his services to others. So I had done probably a dozen or so trips for seniors, so people who could certainly afford their groceries but didn't want to go grocery shop themselves. And then I was contacted by this one family who couldn't afford grocery shopping fees. And part of me wanted to just buy their groceries and let that be my good deed for a quarantine and maybe get some good karma out of it. And we set up a delivery day for a few days after their request. So I had a few days to think about it. And then that night, I actually set up a fundraiser on Facebook in our local community Facebook group and figured maybe I can get a few neighbors or family friends behind this and have basically crowdsource this one family's groceries. And by the end of that night, we had more than enough for a grocery run. And within a few days, we hit $1,000. In about 10 weeks, the Neighbors Grocery Relief effort has collected nearly $40,000 through the Facebook fundraiser and outside donations. The generosity was catching. Right around the one-week mark, I was pretty surprised. Um, We had passed the $1,000 mark. We were close to the $5,000 mark. And we ended up getting two $1,000 donations on the same day. One from the family who owns the local Domino's location in stores and one from a downtown stores business called NICABM. And both of them sent $1,000 donations on the same day, which was pretty shocking. And that really helped to motivate, I guess, other businesses in town to get on board. So that sort of opened the door for some restaurants to donate food, other businesses to donate time and money. So that was really cool. So it became pretty quickly much more than just individual donors, but also involving local businesses. The first weekend of the fundraiser, a family friend of mine who is a partner at Eastern Insurance in Mansfield, he wanted to buy dinner for the families we had already bought groceries for. So he bought many pizzas from a Willimantic pizzeria, and we went around and delivered those, and that was awesome. And after I publicized that, the owner of the Domino's in stores reached out and said that he wanted to keep that going and said that he would donate as many pizzas as we could deliver. So it started with, I think, 15 families all getting two pizzas, and we kept it up almost every every weekend, and it ended up with 
many, many pizzas being delivered, all for free thanks to the Domino's in the stores, which was awesome. After several solo grocery trips, a mother and daughter duo joined Louie's team. Actually, a girl I used to babysit for and her mom. I've known them for about, I want to say, eight or nine years now. And we've always kept in contact. I've babysat here and there. Um, But the daughter reached out on Facebook as soon as she saw the fundraiser and just asked how she could be a part of it, just wanting to donate her time. She's too young to drive, but wanted to get involved. So I invited her with the mom's permission to join me on a shopping trip, and we delivered to a family in town, and she was hooked. And she talked her mom into joining us, so we've been a team of three through the majority of the process, which makes things a lot easier for me. Um, There's a a camaraderie aspect to it of not doing it alone and having people to bounce ideas off of. But it's also really nice to see the youth want to get involved in something like this, and certainly... Neither of them are getting anything out of it. And this high school freshman is already having enough of a hard time with distance learning during the school year and now is devoting a lot of her spare time to helping other people out. So I thought that was really, really exciting. And I definitely wanted to encourage that. As of late June, the team had made 130 trips for food. About 90% of the families are from stores in Mansfield and about 10% are from Wyndham, Chaplin and Ashford, according to Louie. Half the battle is to get the money. The other half is to find people who need the money. Um, So I reached out early on to the town of Mansfield's Human Services Department, which includes the Youth Services Department, too, figuring that those would probably be people who have a good finger on the pulse as to who's in need in the town. I also reached out to the middle school and elementary school administration and psychologists and social worker, just let them know what was available if they had people that they could send my way. And that actually was pretty fruitful, and we got a lot of referrals from the town directly. As far as individuals, I set up an online request form where people can just go to this link, detail how many adults, how many kids, the kids' favorite cereals, the kids' favorite snacks, and then just a brief question as to what kind of need they're in, whether they were temporarily laid off for the crisis, or if they've permanently lost their job, or if there are bigger problems at play. Louis drew from his family health degree, anticipating needs above and beyond this week's groceries, down to making sure kids had a special treat during an uncertain time. That was a little bit of foresight, realizing that the hype, in a sense, would die down. Um, We've gone about two and a half weeks with only a couple hundred dollars in donations, so it feels like we're finally tapering off. But there are certainly still requests that we haven't been able to fill. So just by asking a bit more about what kind of need they're in, I can sort of point them in the right direction of a local food pantry or the human services department, or if there are other organizations that might be able to help based on what kind of need they're in. I was pretty intentional from the beginning about doing more than just covering the essentials. So like I mentioned, I asked for the children's favorite cereals and snacks, just knowing that this is an easy way to get the parents a win by having Cheez-Its or Fruit Loops show up at home when the kids might not necessarily love other cereals. And just knowing how picky of an eater I was with cereals, I figured I can't be alone there. So, <laughs> And the reactions of the families made it all worth it. The most notable being a, a set of twins, I think elementary school age, who were crying on their front porch when I showed up with multiple boxes of Cheez-Its. How, so does, that was really how does that make you feel? It's, it's really overwhelming. Um, to think that this all started with me just wanting to buy one family's groceries and to have almost made it a full-time commitment and 
just to see how simple it is to make people so happy. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really just grocery shopping, but it's, it's really taking a load off for the parents. It's making the kids happy. And so it's really nice to be a part of it. The media attention the project received was the cherry on top and allowed the fundraiser to stay strong for so many weeks. The Ellen Show reached out, I think, within the first 10 days of the fundraiser. And I had a total of four calls with scouts or producers. I'm not sure their exact role. So I had four different Zoom meetings over the course of a week and a half and it ended up falling through, which was pretty disappointing. I mean, everyone's a big fan of Ellen. And I think that's the end goal for anyone who's getting some sort of publicity. But I had a similar experience with Good Morning America, who reached out a few times and it didn't end up working out. So, but we well, have gotten a lot of local coverage, which is right. exciting. And no hey, complaint. you're on the Yukon 360 podcast, which you've never even heard exactly. of. So you, you're, you're making it. Right. <laughs> My students think it's funny because I was never one to join in on the TikTok dances or Snapchat or anything like that. I'm not one who's big on social media. Um, so to get all this publicity was a little bizarre, and it felt like I was really just doing what anyone would be doing if they had time to spare and the resources of this community available. Um, so it doesn't feel like I'm a hero, and I know that's cliche to say, but I welcome the publicity only because it's really helping get more donations and get more awareness of this fundraiser out. So I'm, I'm excited to keep the publicity going. Since the Facebook fundraiser will reach its time limit on July 13th, and since he plans to be back in the classroom in the fall, Louis has been using his platform to point people toward other local causes. So it's nice to be able to help in a different way now, mainly by raising awareness of other ways that people can get involved and help. It all started with me knowing that people in Mansfield are pretty good at looking out for each other. And I had very few doubts that my fundraiser to raise one family's worth of donations would succeed. I was just shocked that it happened before I even went to sleep that night. It's been really motivating and reassuring to know that people in Mansfield are so committed to helping out neighbors. And I think that that definition of neighbors has to be pretty broad. I think it's more than just people who live in town with you or who live in your community. I think just the humanistic side of it, seeing that there's other people around you who are less fortunate, really, I think, compels the majority of people around not just Mansfield, but all the neighboring towns. We've had donations from Chicago, from Canada. Um, I think we had a donation from Australia. So to see the reach of it, I think you have to change your definition of neighbors. And I think anyone who wants to help is certainly invited to be part of that definition of what a neighbor is. You can look up Neighbors Grocery Relief on Facebook. It's a Facebook fundraiser, and that's going to be up through July 13th. And Louie will continue to use the funds as they come in to shop for families. And if you want to donate to him uh, outside of Facebook, you can send him a check made out to Louie Gofine, which is L-O-U-I-S-G-O-F-F-I-N-E-T. And he's at P.O. Box 242, Mansfield Center, Connecticut, 06250. Very nice. And and kind of a theme for this episode of alums who are doing good things. Yeah, that's that's what we're all about. We produce good people. And uh, Tom, you had just mentioned kind of in our little break that 
This is also a Yukon Magazine story, which is on magazine.yukon.edu that also appeared on today.yukon.edu. So you can read more about Louie over there. And props to Julie for dealing with the technical issues, as we all have to Gotta go with it. New world. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the old world, the world before the pandemic. In fact, the world before a lot of things. We've all heard about the Yukon Huskies. That's no secret. But what does the term Yukon 49ers mean to you? Hmm? Nothing. Now, Is perhaps... there a gold rush at Yukon? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The, yeah, but the gold of knowledge. Um, <laughs> perhaps you're thinking of Nick Williams. He was a wide receiver who played his college ball at Yukon and was on the San Francisco 49ers squad last year. While that's accurate, that's not what I'm thinking of. We have to go all the way back, not to 1949, confusingly, but to 1947. The, what? Four, the 49ers were a student fife and drum corps organized at the Fort Trumbull campus, which was a campus established, a temporary campus established for the influx of GIs after the war. So they did a lot of fun things at Fort uh, Trumbull, and one thing they decided that would be really fun was to start their own fife and drum corps. This was apparently such a fun idea that it came to stores in 1948, where uh, Fort Trumbull was was all male, um, and stores, of course, was co-ed, and so the fife and drum corps became co-ed. And also in stores, they decided, you know what, the fifes and drums are great, Let's start dressing like Revolutionary War soldiers. <laughs> Excellent idea. So they started doing that. They had kind of like a, apparently kind of a ragtag uniform. And they would play at on-campus events, basketball games, uh, the Spring Carnival, which was sort of a forerunner of Spring Weekend, the Mayor of Stores campaign, which we've covered in, in a past episode of this. Uh, they would also travel to events throughout the state and kind of act as sort of like a goodwill ambassadors for the university. You could, if you, any kind of civic event, you could just ask the 49ers to show up and a, a fife and drum corps of students would, would show up and play your event, whatever it was. The only instruments were the fife, apparently a C fife, and an ancient type 18-inch rope drum. I don't know what that is, but that's what the drums were. Anyone uh, knows what that is, please tell us. I, yes. Did you I have, Google it? And I you couldn't find it? I did not Google it because uh, I live in the past where I just look through archives. <laughs> this is a really well-researched segment. He's just How way too you? busy doing other th- important things. He, he yeah. is. He's a busy guy. I can't Google drums, okay? Not on the state's time. <laughs> not, not for a story that you're presenting or anything. I, I, I seem to remember in looking at past versions of Jonathan, the mascot, that yeah, there was at one the Revolutionary point War a Revolutionary one. War one. Yeah. It's probably yeah, when it took place. We actually, when we did our live podcast for the alumni, we we blew up some pictures. Mm-hmm. One of the pictures we blew up included a fife and drum corps in colonial garb uh, on the track at uh, what was at the time Gardner Dow Field. That had to be the 49ers. How long were they around? Well, I can't find when they ended. Um, I just found some articles sort of from their heyday describing what they were doing. I haven't been able to find out when the 49ers uh, ceased However, I will say, I did find there is a, a Fife and Drum Corps at UConn. It's called the Fife and Drum Corps at UConn. Not as memorable a name, but still very descriptive. Uh, it's a student group, and it's the same kind of thing. Like, you can you can sign up and play the Fife. I don't know if they use ancient-type 18-inch rope drums. Maybe they do. I don't think uh, I knew that we had that. I, I didn't either. Uh, I was looking at their, their stuff online. It looked pretty cool. But yeah, so, I, so a couple of mysteries here, because this is how things happen. I don't know why they're called the 49ers. They started in 1947. I was going to ask that. Were they, like, maybe it was their, some of their graduating class, and they were like, we're the class of 49. That could be. That could be. And I don't know what happened to them. Uh, I also, I don't know what happened to their uniforms, but uh, my hope is that they're, like, in storage somewhere uh, on the store's campus. we can find them. We can find them. 
maybe dress up as colonial fifers. So we had no marching. When did like marching bands become a a thing? I believe the marching band was around at that time. Were they? Well, marching yeah. bands have a have a very long history in general from the days of John Philip Sousa, who really popularized the whole form, and actually W.C. Handy down in Memphis, most known for the blues, you know, writing band music, that sort of thing. And uh, we're working on a story for sometime later this summer, Professor Kenneth Fuchs and the uh, Coast Guard Academy Band um, have collaborated because Professor Fuchs started really writing band music when he was in high school and then continued through his college career. And he has a, a whole portfolio of that. And the uh, Coast Guard Band is coming out with a recording of his music. According to uh, the internet, which is never wrong, the Yukon Marching which Band... Which you can suddenly use all <laughs> while you're on this podcast recording. Okay, ne- our to, next episode is going to be entirely a description of how to make an 18-inch rope drum, <laughs> Julie. The, the Marching Band was founded in 1904. Okay, so yeah, big overlap there. Th- That's this cool. Like a- it's a different, yeah, different kind of vibe. Yeah, and, I mean, only two instruments, and uh, I think this was a smaller group, obviously, and, and uh, they could show up at, at, at smaller things like uh, student election campaigns and stuff. It'd be hard to get the, the marching band all together for right, that. Right, right. That's pretty neat. Well, yeah. we'll have to look into what the current group is doing. Yes. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, what they're doing. Um, and I was trying to find anything about the 49ers that's not uh, in the, the Connecticut campus archives, and I have not had any luck so far. I'll keep trying. I'd love to get some more info about them. If uh, in the unlikely event that you're listening to this and you were a 49er or just have any 49er information, maybe you're a hobbyist who loves the 49ers, let us know. We'd love to hear more about uh, the Yukon 49ers. Could be out there. So that's it for this episode. This was a positive one. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know I, you know I try to keep us upbeat. No, no doom and gloom this time around. It was all, all good times. We're all settled into our uh, our end times routine, and <laughs> <That's right. laughs> feeling good about it. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a, a more cheer and positivity in your life, you can follow us on Twitter at Yukon Podcast or Yukon uh, uh, at Maine underscore Old. I'll post the photos of the um, what I believe to be the 49ers marching at Gardner Dow Field, and you can follow me at TJ Breen if for some reason you want to do that. Julie, what about uh, what about you? I am at Julie Bartuka and the Yukon Health Journal, which is the uh, publication I edit for Yukon Health Research and Clinical Breakthroughs, is out now. We have a big, supersized summer issue with a really great section on uh, the COVID response at Yukon Health. A really interesting story about re-engineering the hospital for biocontainment. Uh, an infectious disease specialist uh, partnered up with some of the facilities folks over at UConn Health to really um, make sure that we had a contained unit. Uh, and it's really neat to see kind of how that was done. Also a feature on some stroke treatment we do and on dental work and a lot of other fun things. So if you go to healthjournal.uconn.edu, you can read the PDF. And if you stay tuned to today.uconn.edu, there will be stories rolling out in the coming weeks. And I know you're all going to today.uconn.edu because it's a, it's a good source of information. And in fact, I know it's set as their homepage. I, I was, uh, I was just retweeting an old story, not old, two months old, I guess, from today.yukon.edu about why the summer months were unlikely to bring a respite in the, uh, pandemic, despite people assuming that warm weather would do that. And in fact, the warm weather months, as we, as we know, have not brought a respite. 
in the pandemic, which I guess is is more doom and gloom than we had planned for this episode. Um, <laughs> Ken, well, it's just it's still positive because UConn was like, "Hey guys, watch the, out." I mean, I'm sure other researchers said so too. Nope, but nope, just not. By the way, that those researchers were in the New York Times over that too, so that was a that was a big one for us. Okay, so we yeah we got that we were ahead of that. Ken, Good job. What's uh, where can people find you? What what is your TikTok? Someone's TikTok? clicking. That's the clock. That's uh-huh. the clock I have that runs by a battery. <laughs> okay. I deleted TikTok because my friend told me it was really bad malware type. They're stealing See, social media. Social media. You have to beware. That is true. <laughs> you can write Ken and send it through Carrier Pigeon <laughs> to Mansfield Center. No, I don't need any more birds on the roof knocking on the, chim- the, the metal <laughs> chimney cap. There's these huge crows that decide that that's their second home every once in a while. So it's very strange. Out here in the country of the uh, farmland of eastern Connecticut. The trials of the Mansfield Center Bureau. Yes, the Mansfield Center Bureau has its noise quotient. The the landscapers were here yesterday. It was extremely noisy. It's a good thing that we didn't record uh, yesterday, as we sometimes do. But uh, UConn today, my exploits can be followed there. There are stories that are in progress. In fact, I was working on one yesterday and one the day before. Is that your job? <laughs> you know, the bureau is nice, but I, you know, I, I need to get out of the bureau every oh, once in a while. God. So I finally got to leave. Like Gina was complaining <laughs> that he doesn't leave the house. I have I don't leave the house that much either. You know, it's, it oh. is what it is. But we're making do, and there's lots of music, so I can have. Good accompaniment while I'm sitting here thinking about UConn today. And then on Saturdays from 3 to 6 p.m. on 91.7 WHUS and stores, the show we call Good Music. And we hope it's all good music because as the great Duke Ellington said, there's two kinds of music. There's good music and the other kind. And we try not to play the other kind. Excellent. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And, uh, uh, bring your your ancient 18 inch rope drums next time, and we'll all have a party here at UConn. <laughs> <laughs>